Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Not Yet Rated. My name is Dean James. It's great to have your company. And on this week's episode, it was my turn to choose a film. And I decided to go a little bit gangster this week. You did. You went for the road to Turducken. <laughs> I did, didn't I? And we're thinking about gangster. We think about Tom Hanks. Well, in fact, no, I don't. don't even think about you Tom don't Hanks. don't think about fucking Tom Hanks as gangster. You can't. It's just hard to put Tom Hanks in that context. In the chode to premonition. I just can't do it. You Fuck, know, it's but look, anyway, we'll get to Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will have to discuss that. And yes, we are talking about the 2002 Sam Mendes film Road to Perdition is uh, this week's chosen film. Well, I chose it this week, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. It looks like uh, Pies already. He's given me some facial expressions in the studio where it's like, oh, I think he's got some preservations about this film. Preservations? Yeah. Like I've pickled something. <laughs> I think so. I it's think definitely, it was interesting seeing it because I remember seeing it the first time and I was like, wow, that was fucking cool. And then seeing it this time, I'm like, I've got issues. Wow. It dropped in terms of your audience reception. Well, See, for me, it actually went the other way around. Did it really? Yeah, it did. You are a massive nerd though. <laughs> I know. And do you know what? Do this it. film caters to massive nerds. Look, it does. And it really does. And there's reason for it, which is what I want to obviously talk about. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but look, I will say- Fucking incessant long tracking shots. Oh, come on. This is my version of heaven. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, it is. But look, uh, let's talk about the-, the start of the film. So we're introduced to uh, the character of Michael Sullivan Jr., by the way. Um, he is the son of Michael uh, Sullivan Sr., who's played by Tom Hanks in the film. And mm. it's basically from his point of view, isn't it? And you see um, him, he's sort of staring out into into the ocean, into the water, and there's this uh, voiceover where he introduces himself, you know, he talks a little bit about that he spent six weeks on the road with his father in 1931. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of going to be coming from his point of view to say, well, this is my story and, and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I'm going to ask you, I want to see if you, you noticed it during the film. Have you noticed that there's a bit of a common motif with regard to water in this film? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Good. I want to talk about that. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Because water is quite a significant element to this film in terms of what it represents. And the opening shot, I oh, think, is Jesus. so incredibly symbolic with regard to that. <laughs> so just keep that in mind for when we discuss oh. water and why it's symbolic later on in the film. You've gone way too deep. Of course this, I you? have. I, You know, surely you would know me by now to know that this I go... This is plumb in the depths of that, Jesus, what are you doing? That I go deep. I go deep. And then we go into the opening titles. And I just want to play you this uh, magnificent piece of music which is used during the opening sequence. Now, the music uh, is done... A by Thomas Newman, who Mm. I think is one of the most underrated composers of all time. I don't know what you think about Thomas Newman, but I just think he is an absolute genius. He has done some dope scores. Oh, and this one for me. Have a listen to this one. Mm. Oh, I love the opening titles to it. It's got Irish undertones to it, and it links back to... The, the characters within the film as well, like Paul Newman's character, which I want to talk about, obviously. Uh, that's the other reason you fucking love this, don't you? I love Paul Newman in this film. <laughs> I absolutely love him. But you've got those undertones of Irish coming through here in, in his magnificent score. And then you hear the strings come in now. Mm. Oh. Oh, slightly Shawshank. Slightly, but I love that piece of music. It is extraordinary. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Fuck. 
Uh, and then it cuts like doesn't that lead pretty much? You get to see the boys' establishment where he, yeah, he gangs. He's he's a he's a scamperish lad. Yeah, he he's, is. He's he's a bit of a lad. He is steals some chocolate. Has yes. a pipe runs inside. Does yep. the thing. You can see that the dad is obviously distant. Oh and yeah. And the the system with his brother and his mm. mother. You know, it's very much the house out on the fringes of town kind of thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then you see. The father figure coming for the first time. You don't see his face for a bit. No. Comes in, drops his stuff on the bed. So you get an establishment that, you know, you're not exactly sure exactly where it is, but no. you get the impression that you've got a pretty strong patriarch in the house. 100%. Especially when he puts um, the gun. You first see the gun and he, plays, he places it on the bed. And, and when he goes par, he covers it with the jacket so you can see that he's not exactly proud of carrying it. Yeah, and even that distant relationship between Michael Jr. and Michael Sr., even when he goes up and he says, oh, Dad, dinner's ready, and he's just like, mm-hmm, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. You know, it's just it's very clear straight away that there's a distance between him. And then you see it how uh, Michael Sr., interacts with the younger son, Peter. At breakfast. At breakfast. And gives him a cuddle. Yeah, exactly. Gives him a cuddle. And it's very clear that Michael is looking, Michael Jr. is looking for um, that um, sort of just that little bit more love and attention from, from his father. Well, let's let's address Tom Hanks. Okay. Like, the whole point of this is that Tom Hanks is a feared enforcer. Yeah, he is. And... He's a feared enforcer for the Irish mob. And it's so hard to actually look at someone like Tom Hanks for this role because that's probably one of my real sort of negatives about the film is more around the casting choice of Tom Hanks here. Look, okay, so you've got Paul Newman as the head of the Irish mob. Yes, and he plays uh, Mr Rooney. He does, and And Mr Rooney is ace. Oh, John Rooney, like he, yeah, he's the, um, he's a real big sort of uh, person involved in the mob here. And obviously he has a son as well, uh, like a, a biological son. Ma- Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, Connor Rooney, played by Daniel Craig. And uh, once again, it, there's a similar uh, sort of representation in terms of themes here with regard to father-son relationships, which yeah. I also want to talk a lot about here. And oh, it's, God. It's so clear that, um, that Connor is almost like the Michael Jr. of that relationship because, you know, he's distant from his father as well. And he treats John, this is uh, Paul Newman's character, he treats Michael Sr. as his own son. Yeah. Especially that sort of bit, very bittersweet moment when they're sitting at, at, the, the, piano, wa- at the wake. Yeah, they're at yeah. the wake and they're sitting at the piano and they play this just nice score. And then there's this marvellous sort of zoom shot into Daniel Craig's face and it's very clear that he's got this big sort of very awkward yeah. smile and it's just like... Well, before I address Tom Hanks, my addressing of Daniel Craig is I saw a lot of Daniel Craig before he was Bond because he was mm. in a lot of smaller independent movies. Yeah. And he was in a few Australian ones as well. Yeah, I agree. He was. Yeah. There, there was a great one with Noni Hazelhurst. No, I can't remember the name of it. Okay. Where he played a carpenter and the two of them were shaggy. It yeah. was weird. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. He gets to play this unhinged and needy, nearly immature, pouting, petulant mm. sort of child who does things on a way and has been ripping off his dad for years and all mm. that sort of stuff. He plays that really well. There's mm. no issue with it. Maybe a little bit of nuance could have been good. Mm. He's really clearly jealous. That slow zoom mm. into his face when they're playing on the piano. You're like, okay, I get it. It's so clear. You didn't need to do that for five minutes. Oh, so you think it dragged on? Fuck! Oh, no! It was like, okay, I get it. He's jealous and he's not happy. Oh. Still jealous, <laughs> not happy. Uh, oh, still jealous. <laughs> yeah, he's not happy. Oh, oh good, the two of them are still playing. Oh, look, he's still jealous and not fucking happy. Oh, come on. It's just this, the cut between the two of them. And 
like trying to build tension by cutting back to the two men playing on the piano and it's warm and then it's him like, <laughs> oh. you know, like that eventually, it's too long. Oh no, I disagree. Now, fucking Tom Hanks is a gangster. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's, let's discuss that for a second. So obviously now. I totally understand why. I mean, it's to subvert audience expectation with regard to him, but you just can't get that Mr. Nice Guy representation of Tom Hanks out of your mind when you're watching the film. Not to mention the direction where they're like, how are you going to get Tom Hanks to look like the baddie? Well, what we're going to do is make him really distant, but that doesn't work. Well, no. Because he just looks like your dad that's under the pump. But then he just looks like your dad when he's a bit stressed. But I think at the start of the film, like that idea of Tom Hanks being that Mr. Nice Guy, hard to interpret him as a gangster at the start of the film, especially the first half of the film, is hard to interpret. Then later on when there's a little bit more sort of connection between him and Michael Jr., that slightly changed. Slightly? Just slightly. I will just... That's a key word there. (laughs) From... See, even when... All right, so I'm going to zip forward to the diner. So we might not get into as much of the story through this yeah, okay. as we normally would. Well, I might have to add some things in here every now and then. You might have to some context yeah. at some stage or another. All right, you actually add some context. Because all, right. all I'm going to say is that when Tom Hanks is intro- initially introduced to try and get away from that nice guy image, what they do is they distance him. Yeah, they do. So he doesn't say anything. Mm. From the moment after the wake where they have to go to the warehouse to talk to the brother... Mm. Uh, that was killed. Yes. And Daniel Craig's character shoots him in the head. Yeah. There's a really dramatic, quick turn where Daniel Craig does the massive ballerina, ballerina flourish. Mm-hmm. And it goes into slow-mo with a coat swinging in the breeze and bang. Mm. Drills him in the head. And Tom Hanks is all business in that stage because all you see is his feet. There's more water here, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I'm going to get to the water. because somebody dies. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you've just said what is key here about water in this film, that water is a symbol of death. Yeah, someone's going to die. Yeah, exactly. And I want to provide some further examples of it. But anyway, continue. <laughs> There's actually one scene where someone dies and it doesn't rain. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So he drills them super professional. Like the whole point is that there's, you know, there's intimation that he was in the war and, you know, and he's all business and he's Mm. very trusted Mm. and you're just going to go. So Daniel Craig character goes too far, shoots the guy and he just, just instant. Yeah. You know, and it was the thing of like, well, this is the situation I'm in and bam. So you don't even get to see an emotive set of his face. You don't get to see... And then he goes out on errands in the next set. Oh, there's people that owe us money. Yeah. Um, Michael, you need to go, you need to go sort them out. Thanks, Paul Newman. And that and well, that's right. And and that's because, uh, especially if we go back for a second, yeah, yeah, back please. to back to <laughs> um so to give uh, a little bit more context to that, especially with regard to the Daniel Craig character. So there's a moment in the film where you've got a, a character who is at the wake and he's basically implying that um the Roonies were involved in this death. Mm-hmm. So then the mission from Paul Newman is to say, well, let's get Connor and let's get Michael to go and just have a talk with this guy. And he said only talk. And he said only talk, and and that was very clear and specific there. But then uh, what Michael Jr. does is he gets into the back seat of the car and he hides because Mm. he's he's curious about his father. He doesn't really know exactly what his father does. So with that, they go and have a talk in this uh, in this warehouse, and Michael is outside, and he goes underneath a um, a door, and he sees what's going on inside. But then you've got that moment where uh, Connor just makes the decision. You know what? I'm going to kill this guy. So he kills him, 
and it's a brutal kill, mind you, and the emphasis that Sam Mendes puts on that kill mm. I think is very, very clear here because it goes back to the idea that it's Michael's first kill um, or f- Michael's first witness of a kill, I should yeah. say, and that is clearly shocking to, to Michael Jr., and then, of course, Michael Sr. and Connor, obviously, they go outside and they notice that he saw the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then Connor starts to get really nervous about if he can keep a secret. And then that drives him to potentially think about, well, all right, what about if he actually says to other people what's uh, what we actually do? And that was the motivation. Not all. Well, that's one part of the motivation. The second part of the motivation for Connor to kill Michael's family so Annie and Peter is the jealousy so there's really two reasons for why Connor made it very clear in terms of his motivation to kill uh, Michael's family yeah I think as well so when he Basically, you sent him out on errands because he knew he could get the job done. Yeah. And, and it was an errand where, uh, you know, he had to go to this nightclub, this brothel, really. It was more of a brothel. Yeah, it was a bit both. sleazy brothel. And uh, he had to give this uh, guy a note. And uh, anyway, and he noticed that there was a gun hiding underneath the magazine. So eventually, uh, Michael just got up and shot him. But then on the note, it said, kill the Sutherlands and the debt will be cleared. Yeah. So the idea was then that he went around to his house hoping to to wipe yeah. the rest of the family He knew out. that his family was going to be in danger. Yeah, so he tried to make it back and, of course, it wasn't the case. No, it wasn't. And, you know, the other two were murdered and yep. the eldest, Michael Jr., was yep. not. that's right. And and obviously killed by Connor and, and it's made clear in that scene yeah. um, that Connor goes and kills um, the family. And then now Michael Sr. is in a position where he has to now protect um, Michael Jr., but it's not his first instinct. No. it's Well, it's not. Is this where I need to bring up Lone Wolf and Cub? Well, okay, explain. This film is a manga. Right, yeah. In terms so of, yeah. it's a comic that was yeah. created years it and was. years and years. It was, yeah. Called Lone Wolf and Cub, and mm. it's about a samurai yeah. whose family is murdered by the Lord mm. um, and then has to keep his child with him mm. while he exacts the revenge and mm-hmm. he teaches his son some of the ways of the samurai. And this has got Kurosawa written. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All over gosh, it. yeah. Gosh, yeah. I mean, there's lots of interesting things that, in terms of its construction, there's yeah. lots of great elements to this film, and I really want to specifically talk about some of them. I mean, costume design, <laughs> outstanding. Production design, outstanding. Cinematography. Oh, Christ. That's yeah. the best one for me in this film. And the music, of course, by Thomas Newman. There are some amazing long shots in this. Oh, there is. That establish the environment that it's in. Yeah. I mean, you get that tracking shot from the start, which really really sort of predicts it with Michael Jr. on the bike. Yeah, it's great. You get the dad walking through the wake. There's another one. There is possibly too many. No, I disagree. There really is. I disagree. There's some of the moments in this film where it's literally just like, I'm going to put my jacket on and put my keys in my pocket and I'm going to drive out in the car. (laughs) No. There really is. No, I totally disagree. I think there's lots of reasons for why the 35 minutes of this film is fucking tracking shots. Nah, nah. It gives context. The narrative is so crucial here because after that they have to go on the journey towards Chicago. Yeah, there's a journey which is important because it shows the burgeoning relationship between the father and the son character. What you don't need to see is someone making their breakfast in a long zooming slow tracking shot into their <laughs> cereal and they're like here's the bowl 
comes the weak bits. But don't you think that that's got to do with the Here attention comes. to detail that Mendes is putting on the emphasis of these characters? I think sometimes it's Mendes forcing you to look for detail. No. He's just like, check out the background in this really nice house. No, it's got some good curtains. No. Nah. No, I, I think that there's <laughs> underlining things here that I think that you're maybe not looking into as much as I thought you would. <laughs> or maybe you're looking into it too fucking much. Maybe, I don't know. Oh, gosh. God, we've got some banter See, today. I yeah, like but it. That's, that's the thing. I mean, looking at it now, one of the mm. things I've noticed is that the narrative, like what's important in this film mm. to me is the relationship between the father and son. Yeah, it so is. when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is the experience. Mm. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And we've got our connection, of course, with mm. the Easy A with the Tooch. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. So we've got the Tooch. <clears throat> so for me, that's I was a key like, the narrative, it's like giving, for me, my massive problem with this film, watching mm -hmm. it again, mm -hmm. is Jude Law. Yep. So uh, to give uh, context about Jude Law's character, so um, he's an assassin. Yeah, he is. So the Irish got freaked out when they found out that Michael was still alive and yep. he was going to come and murder them. Mm -hmm. So they ran to Chicago yep. to talk to Cabones. Yeah, who I see. Yeah, who is uh, Mr. Nitty, who's played by um, Stanley Tucci. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So that's obviously he went into witness, witness protection, and yep. then Emma Stone was his daughter, and yeah. there's the same universe. But <laughs> that's right. He just didn't age. Exactly. He aged incredibly well. He, he did. Yeah. So they've hired. Mm. Oh, I've got I've got a crazy hitman, and this is when it turns into a pulp comic. Mm. So the thing, the tone shift for having Jude Law's over the top character. Mm. Interesting. For me, detracted from the story. Wow, okay. And which, so Jude Law's hunting them down. Mm -hmm. Michael doesn't go to his wife's funeral. No, that's right. So he calls in to talk to his sister because she's got a beach house and that's the big plan. Yep. We're going to get to, to perdition. That's and right. And that's where you're going to be. You're going to be with my your mother's sister. Mm. She's going to look after you and I'm going to kill people and probably die. Yeah. Like that was the plan. And mm -hmm. then Jude Lord's like, <laughs> Yeah, he's just got the one mission and he's so determined. He's ruthless. He's really trying very hard to ensure that. But he, it's a caricature because he's like, I take photos of dead people. Yeah, he does. He does. There's nearly too much in that character for it. Wow. Have you seen Walter Hill's popcorn samurai gangster Western last man standing? No, I have not. They have that character in Last Man Standing and it's played by Christopher Walken. Oh, okay. And how do you find it's his interpretation? It's a samurai tale that yep. was turned into a gangster film that was also a Western. I'm not saying it's good. Okay. What I am saying, though, is that they had this big bad killer guy mm. come in and it was Christopher Walken. And he had his eye was stitched down with a skin flap and he was just like, Argh. and mm. he was weird. That was enough. Mm. Jude mm. Law, like waiting for the guy to expire and then muffling him and killing him with a photo scene and all the photos are dead people mm. and then he catches up with him at the diner and he has his monologue. Yeah, he does have the monologue and he's talking obviously about uh, his <laughs> photography. Oh, come on. Is photography your, your pleasure or is it your work? And then he says, oh, it's both and that sort of thing. And obviously uh, that moment where uh, he knew, like Tom Hanks knew that he was the guy that was on the lookout for him and then he yeah. escapes and gets in the car and then there's that sort of gunshot and um, and now it's basically that moment, well, you do what I do now, Michael, and that's it. So yeah, if you go inside the diner. Die. Yeah, exactly, because we're, we're going to die and they're clearly on that on that mission. But, but and that, there's no rain at the diner well, at that he moment, shoots the cop. But that's... Oh, okay, so besides that, all right, fine. Just saying. Okay, just saying. But anyway, but that that diner scene, like his monologue, where he's talking about the photography and his yeah. feeling and the dead people and when they look this way and all mm. that sort of stuff, it was just like, oh, oh gosh, okay, groan. <laughs> oh no, see, I I certainly wasn't groaning at that moment. I groan. <laughs>
<laughs> oh wow, we're so, we've got opposite ends today on this one. Don't you feel <laughs> Already. like? Don't you feel like that? Because you're trying to get, and it pulls this intense gravitas through the way that it's shot. So you get these slow burn moments of understanding character, like just the walk through that strip club before he kills the guys that were told to kill him and stuff. Mm. And you're getting this impression, you know, when his name's mentioned, he's this character and all this sort of stuff. And they, they stop. And then you've got this guy who's like, I like to take pictures of dead people. No, I didn't think of it like, that way. I see his character and especially the physicality of his character mm. to nearly be so over the top that it changed for me. Okay. Like Jude Law's performance in that was jarring. It's the same thing that we talk about Tom Hanks not being a gangster. Yeah, subverting the audience expectations. Because even when he's yelling at his son in the field mm. after Jude Law is there mm. like about to shoot him mm. and then take his photo because mm. why not? The originator of the snuff film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, yeah. He's got a kink. Um, that even when he's yelling at him, you still don't get that coldness from him. Mm. You know, he's like, Michael, you got to do what I'm going to tell you to do. Like, you've got that Tom Hanks warmth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he's injured, they decide to hurt the family to try and get him to give up the son mm-hmm. by taking their money. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's one thing that they care about. So I'll mm. take, we'll start robbing their banks. Yeah, the Capone-based yeah. money that is kept in all the banks around Chicago. Yeah, so out in little rural yeah. areas and stuff. To there's a great little montage. I think yeah. it's a great little montage it where is. it shows all... It's fantastic. Of, it is, oh, thank you. You said a, a word in today's podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That father and son robbing the banks oh. thing and teaching the son to drive. Exactly. You can see the warmth come through and then you all can. of a sudden it's... Tom Hanks. Oh, come on. You don't see any change in that over the f- course of the film in terms you, of Tom Hanks? You do see the change, but the thing is that the changes come from not being so distant. Right. So his character plays it by being distant mm-hmm. and then he just gets gradually closer. Yeah. The way that he speaks to his son doesn't change later until he's wounded. Mm. So it's it's a closeness and then the dialogue reflects it Yeah. after he gets shot. But then there's a uh, moment uh, which links to towards the end of the film where I really want to talk about. There's a moment where uh, they're talking about, well, Michael uh, Senior does not want his son to be like him. So there's a moment where they're talking yeah. and they're saying... Well, he wakes up from having a bad dream. Yeah, no, that, that's right. Yeah, yep. so he wakes up from having a bad dream. He's like, do you want to come in and talk about Yes, that? exactly. And he's going through all these financials, trying yep. to find stuff. Yep. And his son comes down and asks him whether he loved him the same as his brother. That's right. And he was sort of like, well, he was such a sweet kid, yep. whereas you are more like me. Yeah, that's right. And I don't want you to be like Exactly. Me. And there's subtle moments of that that you get even from the very start of the film. So, for example, right at the very start of the film, you've got Michael, he's sitting at the kitchen table, he's doing his homework, and it's got a, a label up the top that says math, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes back to later on the film that he's like, oh, is that math? Oh, I always hated it. And he's like, oh, I hated it too. You see little things like that that makes that relationship even more dynamic as the film grows on. That's what that got for me. Yeah, and his son's also the Will Wheaton out of Stand By Me character (laughs) in the regard that he was always going to be a writer. Always, always. You know, you always see him, he's either got a book or he's paying attention to something. And, oh, what was your favourite class? Reading. Bible studies, Mm. why'd you like that? Because of the stories. You know, like it was was Stand By Me in that regard. it, It was in that regard and he's always reading the Lone Ranger and those sorts of things and yeah. I think that scene for me like as I said I hadn't seen this film in a long time and then uh, just that scene 
actually just stepped it up a little bit for me. Yeah. Because of that. Um, yeah. Because years ago, you know, I, I was sort of the opposite. Like for you, like you said years ago, that your appreciation was higher where now you feel as though it's gone a little bit lower. Mine actually flipped it. And I think it flipped it because of that scene. Because then after that, um, which is the next part, which also lifted it up for me. Mm is he identifies, he's going through all these papers. So he gets in contact with the accountant, uh, yeah. Mr. Rance, and they have this big sort of confrontation in the, a hotel room. That's where Maguire comes in and tries to shoot uh, Sullivan. Um, and for our listeners, um, he just gave me an eye roll just then. Because <laughs> he really, he, he clearly hates Jude Law's character in this film. He's so I just think he's too comic. Oh, yeah, look, I... I think his, his idea of trying to bring the serial killer kind of... <laughs> Look, I'm Kevin Spacey in Seven, but I'm in a gangster film. It's just, oh, oh God, oh, it just look. made me tired. Yeah, anyway. But then going back to, uh, so he stole some papers from Mr. Rance, and when he was going through those papers, just after that scene where Michael goes back to bed after they had their little conversation, yeah, and he, sees he, it. he notices that Connor has been stealing from his father for years. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Michael makes the decision to go and see Paul Newman's character and says, well, you know what? Your son has been stealing from you from this year, all this time. The great and scene in the basement. Yeah, it is the great scene in the basement. And, and Paul Newman is just outstanding in this film. Every time he opens his mouth, he's gold. He's extraordinary. He he's is. an extraordinary actor. And in this film, his performance is just so strong. But there's that moment where he just can't. He knows that he doesn't want essentially his son to be dead until he's dead in yeah. a way and he he just can't accept that yeah, yeah he just can't accept the fact that michael really wants to kill connor no it's not going to happen this whole thing so yeah. then michael has to go into a position well the only thing that can be done is to is to kill mr rooney yeah because then they'll have to give up the boy because yep. there's nothing left exactly and then it goes to the moment in the film where rain comes in and there's uh, it, it's an extraordinary moment in the film for me because yeah, it, the it cinematography follows, it follows 10 men walking to a car that yeah. takes 15 minutes oh it oh, don't dra <laughs> don't drag it out <laughs> He is so it was wrong. Maybe Twenty-five yet. minutes. Get off it! Oh. Like someone stops and does that. Oh show. shit! <laughs> I can't deal with that. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to be this brutal with this film, but uh, I, I was going to flip it. I oh, was you like, were because it is. Look, as as much as I'm being that way, it is a great film. And the thing was for me, it's like, well, I'm going to nitpick the shit out of this. Yeah, you really because did. as soon as I started watching it, I was like, he fucking loves this movie. <laughs> As soon as I saw those tracking shots, if you take the first half of the film and you watch the tracking shot, I'm like, oh, I uh, already know what he's going to say. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to knock him off kilter. Yeah, and you really you've really challenged me today. I really enjoy it. The action, the action when it's shot in this film is interesting because it doesn't, it does it a lot. And mm. again, it goes back to its samurai thing where it's mm. quick and brutal. Yeah. Um, so when he goes through a stage, like you get the threat and the menace. Mm, you do. Um, of a lot of violence when they're doing the bank robberies and stuff, mm -hmm. but you don't see it happening. No. Um, the most visceral violence you see is coming from Boo Law's character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. It's oh, uh, garbage. Uh, um, and this is the time, like, it's never actually glorified in any sort of states. Like, so when he attacks the uh, Paul Newman's posse. Yeah. So it's pouring yeah. with rain. It's yep. a really high it angle. It yep. moves low. Mm -hmm. And the gunfire starts and it goes to slow-mo. And by the way, you don't hear it's it's inaudible at, at that moment. Yeah, so what happens with this one is that normally the thing with the gunfire and this is, is it's incredibly loud yeah. and incredibly abrupt. Yeah, it is. Again, Here it's not. going back to Samurai, like sword comes out, there's mm. a slash, somebody's dead. 
And in this one, there's no sound and it does a slow... So it starts with someone going down first yep. and then it does that slow drag towards Newman's character. Yeah, so it, it keeps does. him central frame, but you get to see the men fall around him. Yeah, you do. And then from out of the shadows, mm. six minutes later, Tom Hanks walks oh, out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and even when they have that conversation where it's just Paul Newman saying, I'm glad it was you. Mm. And then Tom Hanks obviously is hesitating because of the significance of this man. So exactly. there's your father-son thing Yeah, again. that's right. That's right. And you hear the gunfire when he takes him down, but you never see the damage. No, you don't. And because it's all shot from medium shot of yep. when Tom Hanks is actually killing uh, Mr. Rooney at that moment in time. He's killing his own father in a way is the metaphor. But also as well, you hear that gunfire. Yeah. And that's what's significant about that. And then, of course, from there, because Mr. Rooney's now dead, Mr. Nitty is now given information. Yeah, the is like, okay, well, He's in this room, yeah, go get him. Go and get him. And he goes up there, great moment in the film, I think. It's just Phenomenal. That. Yeah, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Phenomenal. Now we're using Fantastic so on a phenomenal. Because great. the thing that happens is that you get yep. this really long, and it's a it's a decent size sequence when he destroys his own father figure. Yeah. And then when you actually get to the point where this has been the goal of the entire film. So mm. once the wife and child are dead, yep. I will kill you, yes. Connor. That kind of thing is so matter-of-fact and abrupt. Mm. That he walks in, you don't even see Connor's face. No, you, you don't, don't even know that Connor's in the room because he's in the bath. Mm-hmm. So he opens the door, just raises the pistol, fires straight two away. rounds, blat blat, yep. and walks out. Walks out, but then Mendes, great bit of direction. He just yeah. he the walks past door. and he hits the door, and you can the audience just gets a glimpse of Connor in the bathtub with the blood there. Yeah, just phenomenal. I think that's an extraordinary scene. The the music also adds to it too. Thomas Newman's score just phenomenal. Yeah. And then it goes to that moment where they think all of a sudden, yep, life's free now. That's it. It was never free. But it was never free until when they get to perdition, there's that moment where you've got Michael Jr. He's outside and he's just sort of playing around with the dog and that sort of thing. And then there is this extraordinary shot where it's superimposed (laughs) between Michael outside, this sense of innocence there, and then you've got Michael Sr. just staring at him, you know, with the water and all of a sudden, bang. Yeah, blood on the window. Blood on the window. And there's that moment and still that super impos- this is the genius of Conrad L. Hall's cinematography is that you can see Maguire in the background And but when um, Tom Hanks falls to the ground after his bloodshot you can see um, you can see Maguire there but you always knew he was doomed of, of course of course you like, did you had to have known that and that that entire thing like going there with the boy and running over the dunes and mm. doing the father and son, you knew he was dead yeah, you like, did you knew that it had to be punctuated with his death mm. But also because the narration at the start with the child at the thing yep. intimated that it was going to happen. So you knew it was going to happen yeah. in a significant way. Exactly. And the last point I want to make before I give you my rating. I'm fucking <laughs> I'm going to take your photo. So this moment, yeah, well, that's right. And he goes and takes the photo. But then there's that important moment where mm. Michael actually has the gun. And he's got the power at that moment to kill Maguire. But Tom Hanks knows that he can't do it. Yeah. He knows it. Or he hopes that he doesn't. Exactly. I and sort of feel like when he's shaking his head at that situation, he's saying, please don't. Yeah, and of course he, he is. Tom Hanks masters the last of his strength to pull his mm. reserve yep. 38 out and blat chewed Laura in the back of the head yep. and blat just done as well. I, I just loved that moment. I thought that was crucial. But I also think the establishment of him, I, I feel like the narration at the end and when he drives the car back up and you can tell, and mm. that was the thing that I liked about the farmhouse scene is you knew that that was where he was going to end up. Mm. You know, like you felt that that was the environment and those people were good, simple people. They were. 
Um, so, you know, he ended up out of it and Hanks's character ended up dead with another killer on the floor. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing that I liked about Newman. Yeah. In his performance as well when mm. they were in the church basement where he said, look around. Yeah, he did. He did. The only one thing that we're sure of is that none of us yeah. are going to heaven. No, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, hit me up, Dino. All right, so look, um, I think this film is superb. I really do. I really appreciate <laughs> I really appreciated this film a little bit more than I did previously. Mm-hmm. Um I think because I've gotten a bit older and I appreciate it a lot more, Thomas Newman's score was phenomenal. This is definitely one of the best composed films. I'd add it probably on my top 10 of the best composed films for score cinematography. Um, the score's amazing. Production's amazing. Production design, costume design. I almost feel like this film should have been in black and white. I get that black and white feel to it. Well, I could definitely get an urge to re-edit it. <laughs> well, we could do that, couldn't we? So, <laughs> yeah. Paul Newman, it's his uh, one of his best performances. In fact, it was his last live action film before mm. he passed away. He was obviously, he was um, he did the voice in Cars and that was like one of his last roles before he died. Um, Tom Hanks obviously subverts audience expectations, so um, that's that takes it down slightly. <laughs> so for me, I'm going to give it four and a half. I'm giving it four. Yeah. Because wow. where you've gotten to a stage where you appreciate it more, I'm getting closer to death and <laughs> I'm just like, I don't have 40 minutes to watch one tracking shot of a car in the desert. Oh, come on. Oh, Boosh. Look. Oh, that was... <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I love it. And Absolutely. just torturing you. Oh, no, you. You should see him. It's like putting a, an egg on a hot barbecue. <laughs> Jiggling. You, we've really challenged each other today. <laughs> oh, I've enjoyed it. So on that note, I suppose we better finish up. Um, next time, it's your choice. I'm curious about your choice next time. Me too. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us.